to another episode of Coffee with the Boys. We're working on episode two right now. If you haven't already listened to episode one, head back over Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast, look up Coffee with the Boys and you'll find us right there. We started off hot. We're coming back this week with another awesome episode. We've got a lot of content to address, a lot of topics to, to cover before we have our guest on, our first guest. But just wanted to say welcome, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well, but why don't we go around the table here, see what I guess everybody was up to the previous week. Not that there's a lot going on, but maybe Meg's had a couple more minds that he molded at school. What'd you get up to, Meg's? Not too much, man. Good week at school. You know, Mondays are Mondays are Mondays, but back into the swing of things. And yeah, I mean, no way. We, I guess we would have been on March break. I oh, know one more week, I think, uh, in Ontario. No, we would have been on March break. Ours actually just got moved to April, second week of April. But anyways... Not too much. What's up, Jammer? Yeah, I actually had a, had a decent week here for once, boys. I uh, found myself in Blue Mountain uh, for the week. My wife was getting a little 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 cabin fever, a little stir crazy there, and kind of finally had her breakdown from COVID here. Just needed to get needed to get her outside, needed to get her out of the house and into into another house. I guess we uh, one of my buddies has a cabin up there, so we just went up there and chilled as a family for a little while. Three three days, three day getaway, quick little trip. It was good. That must have been nice. I was literally having that thought earlier today about the process of how many people were losing their minds that hadn't been able to get away and finally just put the stake in the ground, went away, did something, and actually did it. Because I mean, out here in Halifax, where we can't really go many places, um, and I was thinking about that. I was like, when is it? When am I going to hit that breaking point where I just like. I need to get away. I need to break it. I need to go. I need to do something because we're going on, I think, this week or next week's a year of lockdown. I think it might have been this week. So crazy. Chuck, what have you been up to? I've uh, diving headfirst into the crypto, crypto sphere, investing a little bit of stock, stockage, some penny stocks. So trying to do that and listen to your podcast last week talking about NFTs, trying to trying to figure that out, man. And it's, I, I feel like the old guy with the remote and doesn't know how to like change a channel on the, on the TV. Like, I feel like I need assistance because I had to email the people. Like, I don't know how to get my, my EFT into my wallet. And I'm like, it's a mess. So I I'm, I'm fully in uh, lack of technologically savvy mode there. I'm glad that you got on to the NFTs and everything in the stock market. I don't know if Jammer or Megs, you guys saw this, but I had sent uh, Charlie a message this week. Mark Cuban actually announced with the Mavericks that they are now with season ticket members. I think you have to have a certain person. You might have to own stake in the actual club in order to do this, but they're now accepting cryptocurrency for season ticket purchase. That's brilliant. He's He's been ahead of the curve right from the get-go right and you know it, it, and, it, and it's brilliant he's gonna make end up in the long run making way more money because you can see where this is going already so he's gonna be you know i don't know if, if doubling or tripling his his cash value 
just based on, you know, this as easy as a six season ticket, you know, easy as either cash or, you know, cryptocurrency. He might, uh, you know, people might be losing out on way more than they think by paying that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious what's going to happen. I have, I don't know. I think that it's genius. Like you said, he's always ahead of the curve. I, do, I wonder if anybody else is going to do it from an ownership standpoint, but I'm also very curious how you go about monitoring. Obviously I don't know the back end, how you go about monitoring the cryptocurrency payments and um, what they're actually worth, what they're valued at. Cause it fluctuates all the time. Cash. I mean, cash is cash unless you're talking currency value in us dollars versus Canadian dollars, like crypto fluctuates so much. So who knows, but we talked quickly about your blue mountain trip. One of the notes that I had put down that we wanted to talk about this week was the U S releasing that they were going to talk about, or potentially be open to the concept of vaccine or vaccination passports, meaning that basically on your phone, you would, if you got tested previously, have a QR code or basically a digital wallet, your Apple wallet, for example, you would then have what would be a vaccination passport on your phone so that you could travel without having to do the 14 day quarantine. I wanted to get your guys thoughts on that. Yeah. I, I just, I saw the, uh, the new CDC guidelines that came out and you know, it's definitely rolling out pretty quick. You know, being able to, to hang out with people unmasked and unsocially distanced, it feels like it's, it's getting, you know, a lot closer to uh, a lot closer to the end than the start, even though uh, we've been in this for a while. So last summer, there was like ads going out from like the Italian government, basically giving people like 50% off their trips just to like boost the economy and stuff. Can you imagine if that passport thing passes, like how you can take advantage of basically seeing the world at a discounted rate almost because everybody's just so hungry to get, you know, tr- tourist tourism dollars. Like look at Halifax. I mean, the, the they rely on those cruise ships. And it's everywhere is hurting so bad. Like, yeah, that's uh, that's wild. I don't know. I mean, there's definitely going to be a window for sure when that when that opens about how much money they can make on travelers. But the whole concept of the wallet is, I mean, it's good. It's like Jammer said, hey, lights at the end of the tunnel. That's you know a bit of a sign of relief. But yeah, it is. Uh, it's interesting for sure. I th- found it really interesting. Obviously, I don't think that it's going to come out anytime soon i don't know when the actual release date is going to be that they're actually going to have these vaccination passports but just in the back of my mind going off of another point that i'll bring up here in a second but we're releasing all these statements places like texas are opening up almost to full capacity vaccination passports are now going to be a thing places are opening up not right away at full capacity but restrictions are loosening very heavily makes me revert back to the fact that we're only in March right now. The NLL bubble was supposed to be in April, right? So it's crazy to me how we, we canceled it, rightfully so. We canceled it. There's too many logistical problems. But how now everything seems to be just kind of ramping back up almost to normalcy, and we canceled the season, which kind of sucks. You can't stray people along for too long, but I find that that in itself is a little bit of a – mind frigga in itself year to the day right now i know it's not going to be the day that we announce this podcast or released it but a year to the day today it's our last game against buffalo to which uh texas i have this uh 
here. They're opening up to, I believe on Wednesday, 100% capacity, no mandated masks anymore starting on Wednesday. And their cases, I have it up here, March 7th, new cases. This is the most recent information that I could find. March 7th, new cases, 2,852. Seven-day average, 6,000. Opening to 100% capacity, no mask mandate. Halifax, I think last week we had two cases, global shutdown. I'm very interested in what's going to happen in Texas here. I've got some friends in Texas who seem to be going rogue anyway, so I'm not shocked by this. But I'm very curious what's going to happen in the next, let's say, week or month with the cases. They do everything bigger and better in Texas, baby. Bigger snowstorms, bigger bills. That's nuts. It doesn't even make sense. I don't get it. Like, it's so frustrating. Oh, I think about like our kids here, like they're so frustrated. They, you know, they just want to play games. We just want to play. You want to get back some normalcy and just so different others, you know, where other people are, but this is what it is. Do you guys have much of a, a plan, Megs, for what your March break is going to look like at the Hill this year? It doesn't really matter where you are. It's like we're in Peel, which is, you know, which is in lockdown and, um, for another two weeks, but it all depends on your color code. So it's, you know, pretty strapped. Next uh, thing I want to get your guys topic. Well, not topic it is a topic, but I want to hear your, your re- reflection on this. The Dr. Seuss for anybody that hasn't been listening to any of the news lately, six Dr. Seuss books. I'll list them off here. We've got, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry street was one, two, if I ran the zoo, three, McGelliot's Pool, four on Beyond Zebra, five Scrambled Eggs Supper, and six The Cat's Quizzer, to which these six books were pulled off the shelves for the depiction of stereotypical imagery from mainly Asians and African Americans. And when that gets addressed, the thing that a lot of people had problems with was the fact that in Dr. Seuss stories, the Speaking roles are primarily only for the white characters in some of the, well, the six that were listed here in some of them, the Asian members were depicted with slits as eyes and the African-Americans a lot of the times don't have clothing on or they have minimal clothing on. So in something that, I mean, even yourself, Cody, you're very heavily involved with a lot of the current climate when it comes to different stereotypes and how different cultures are perceived, primarily Native Americans and Indigenous culture. So I wanted to get your your thought on this, if you'd read into it a little bit at all, if not, kind of what your initial thoughts are with some of those books that are iconic, maybe not the six, but Dr. Seuss in itself, the name of being an iconic name, virtually being pulled off the shelves. Yeah, I, uh, I, th- I think we're heading down, heading down a slippery slope here where I think, you know, Dr. Seuss is the first is the first main one and he, and he's a big name, but I think there's going to be a lot more coming, you know, with, with, with cancel, cancel culture, the way it is now, what, what was, what was socially acceptable, acceptable, you know, back in the day isn't anymore. So I think we're heading down a slippery slope on what, what gets pulled and what doesn't, you know, I'm, Disney had a few things that, that have got pulled recently. Um, and, you know, and, and you can think of a lot of different things, you know, Pocahontas for one, which is what, uh, you know, deals with deals with native american and you know this that the story that they tell isn't the story that uh, that we get told so you know we're heading down a, we're heading down a, a path where you know we might be 
we might be watching, you know, the caterpillar and caterpillar and the mouse for a lot of a long time. Do you, I guess one of my main questions in, in its simplicity is, does anybody agree with it or do you disagree? Because I think that from my standpoint, I, it's tough. Like, Cody, you say it's a slippery slope because I really think it is. And not just a slippery slope from what books get pulled next, but the conversation itself, because an iconic book like those that were historically renowned, now we're talking about pulling those. So what comes next? But from a conversational standpoint, I always think about like, what what is too much? Because obviously with a podcast, people with voices, I do think it's important to bring that to people's attention. Like there's the cancel culture, but there's also a different avenue where people aren't saying cancel everything. Let's just monitor how things are and how we approach them or how we have this conversation. So my question to you guys is, do, do you think that this is too much or do you think that it's justified for where we currently are in today's society. Let's hear from the teacher. Yeah, I guess Meg's like, what if you're telling your kids about this? Like, what do you? What's one of the things that you say? I guess because in being PC and politically correct, like you are a teacher, you need to have the proper education behind it before you even bring it to your students. So, what's one of the? I guess what's one of the things that you acknowledge when when bringing this up, if if at all? Yeah, I mean, in education now, they're the books that you're reading in class and you know first and foremost that right videos you're showing it's you know it's diverse it's inclusive you know making sure that everybody in your classroom no matter where they come from what they look like feels included right and it's not just reading about little I don't know like I just think of like Tintin or Petit Prince and um, just like books like this now it's all about white you know white like white families right and it's tough even for me to talk about it like it's even kind of tough now because i'm a white male so from my perspective it's i guess from for me it's you just you learn you listen and you know yeah and you be respectful right you know it's it's i you know i can't speak for anybody and tell them how they feel like that's that's wrong right so it's you know, these are, those are, those are always tough, tricky areas. My initial thought when I saw this was uh, one that it sucks to have an iconic Dr. Seuss novel taken for any regard. I understand the reason being, but my second thought was trying to reflect back on like math books or geography books. And are any of those going to come under scrutiny for anything that's depicted in there? Like is a math equation, like how far are we going to go with this? Is a math equation inside of a math textbook politically incorrect? Like where are we going to draw the line, I guess? And is that ever going to be a thing? I don't know. I, I, but that's initially where my head went. Cause like, if we start with Dr. Seuss, where does it end type deal? Yeah, I think I think by pulling them, it isn't going to hurt, you know, Dr. Zeus legacy. You know, he's got he's got numerous, you know, books out there that that are that are acceptable and that can be read. Um, it just, you know, takes away from his his library, per se. You know, I think uh, pulling them is the right thing to do, you know, making sure that, you know, the kids coming up don't have to read them and don't have to put up with put up with the things that maybe people were people were, you know, experiencing based on those books. On a little bit of a lighter note in terms of Dr. Seuss, I've been reading. We have, I want to say, 16 Dr. Seuss books in uh, Tatum's 
library currently and reading them before bedtime, you almost need to have a PhD to read some Dr. Seuss books. Like they are intricate. The diction inside of them is unique. It's odd. It's off. But like, I tend to think that I'm an educated person. When I read Dr. Seuss, I immediately revert back to the fact that I feel like I'm in grade one reading these books and I'm on Tatum's level. I probably shouldn't be reading them because they're tongue twisters. Like you'll be reading, you'll be flying along. And then all of a sudden he comes up with some ridiculous word. And I'm like, she, forget the story, Tatum. Let's, let, let's figure out what the hell this is. What is this bird with a little toque on? And why is he talking about having books on shelves with hooks and stooks? It's not nonsense sometimes. It's crazy. One thing that, uh, that it kind of reminds me of a few years ago, I read an article on, 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 and I'm sure you guys have seen it, but Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, where the where he talks about, you know, where they're licking the wallpaper, the lickable wallpaper. And he talks about, you know, the schnozberries taste like schnozberries. And all growing up, I was wondering, like, you know, what is a schnozberry? And then after reading this article, I found, I think I was just watching, watching it one day and I saw, like, it came up. I was like, oh, yeah, I meant to, you know, research that. And, you know, he he had in his past movies or past dialect, a schnozberry is, is actually testicles. So him adding that into a Willy Wonka movie for children, you know, they may not know, but in his head, and maybe, you know, funny to him, but, you know, saying the schnozberry tastes like schnozberries is saying it tastes like testicles. I mean... It's kind of, it's funny. I, I don't know. Like, like we said at the beginning though, and you, you touched on it, Corey, like before, way back when things were different, you were allowed to say different things. Like it, it just was how it was. And I mean, I was watching a movie the other day with Dana and I'm not going to repeat the word that was said in it, but it started with an F and it's just like, when is that going to get taken off of Netflix? When is this no longer going to be acceptable to have on a streaming platform where they're just blurting out these nonsensical words in 2021 and it's crazy and i i don't want to be a debbie downer but i do think that it, these are things that obviously need to be addressed they're things that are happening in today's current climate and they're they're important to at least address but i thought the dr seuss one was very interesting because historically i think that if you've ever taken a breath of life you've heard of dr seuss you know who dr seuss is you've probably read a dr seuss book and things are changing Things are changing. But before we get into our interview, I did want to talk about one more thing that I find really interesting. It's something that's always piqued my interest forever. And it's the concept of athletes paying for rehab or just personal maintenance on their bodies. And Russell Wilson recently came out, said that he spends on an annual basis, a million dollars, a million plus. And James Harrison, I know that Meg's does all of his workouts and follows him religiously on Instagram and wants to be like him. And he himself at one point said that he also spends a million dollars on the same concept, rehabilitating the body in the off season or during the season. And I wanted to get your, everybody here, your thoughts on it, because from a lacrosse standpoint, not, not one player for the most part makes a million dollars in their lifetime. So at what point do athletes except for NHL, NFL, MLB, start to be able to rehabilitate themselves and put themselves at this highest level possible. So I want to get your, your opinions on athletes spending this money and where do other athletes go moving forward and how do they find a way to 
rehabilitate themselves. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with, do with, you know, your means and, and the sport that you play talking with you know, lacrosse wise, there isn't, there isn't a ton of money. So you got to keep yourself, you know, healthy and available to the best of your ability. You know, so if you, if you have budget yourself in and if your team has a budget or, or whatnot, you, you do what you're capable of doing to, to stay at peak performance. We can't compare ourselves, you know, to the NHL and to the NBA, to, to that, to that level. Um, but I'm sure you can, you can eat well, you can, you know, exercise, you can get the work done that you need to get done um, according to your means and according to your sports means, you know, every sport, you know, is a little bit different where, you know, football is very taxing. Basketball is the same way, you know, running up and down the court, you know, for 45 minutes of a 48 minute game. Personally, I don't, I don't see no, no problem. in those guys releasing how much they spend because their means are a little bit different to ours. What would, what do you think the census around lacrosse would be if lacrosse players professionally started releasing how much money they spend annually on their recovery or maintenance? Oh man. Like, <laughs> It's so embarrassing, but yeah, we practice what once a week. Right. And then, you know, you're lucky realistically, like the good players. And I would say a lot of the young players in the league, everyone takes care of their body, but you still like, you know, there's days you you can't do it. Right. You got your job, you know, I guess not complaining from that sense, but yeah, we're yeah, just uncomparable. And the fact that they spend a million dollars. Wow. I, th- I think that a way, I think that a way to phrase it from a professional, and not just lacrosse, but I mean, I uh, before we jumped on this, I had addressed that when I wrote this note down to talk about it on the podcast, I was scrolling through Instagram and Sierra Romero, who is a famous Michigan softball player, one of the top earners in professional softball. She put up the Russell post saying that he spends a million dollars, and then up top she captioned it with "Must be nice." So. It's not just professional lacrosse players, but I think that it's a it's a fun topic to talk about because from a lot of professional athlete standpoints, I think recovery falls under the category of what does insurance cover, not what can I pay for out of my own pocket. Well, and think of the cost too of just like maintaining a diet for your specific role, like what it costs to be for food for alignment. Like you, you see these guys shed 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, hundred pounds when their career's done because they're eating twice, you know, three times as much as the average human being, because they have to keep up that weight. You know, you look back at like Michael Phelps, he had a 12,000 calorie diet just, you know, and he still weighed 165 pounds. The cost, the cost to just feed yourself each and every day, I can't even imagine what that grocery bill looks like. But, but now you start factoring in the rehab and all the other things. It's just, it's so costly to be at that peak performance. Yeah, for, you know, for me personally, getting getting older and wiser in my career, I've been spending more now, my own personal income now, um, than I did when I was first breaking into the league. You know, I, I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing different, you know, different specialists a little bit more often and and doing, you know, little adjustments here and, and things with, with different people now more than I did when I was young. So maybe, you know, as you get older, you start to, you know, your body starts to wear down a little bit more and you have to be prepared for that and, and plan accordingly. Definitely. I think that if you're going to, if you're going to go down the avenue of professional sports, you've got to understand that you're going to have to 
pay out of pocket for something in order to stay at the peak performance level that you want to. And in everybody's contract, it says right there that you need to stay in peak physical shape, but to what price tag does that come? And to Cody's point, as you get older in the league or leagues, you start to understand what you need to focus on. Maybe it's more of your hamstrings or your quads or your legs and not as much your upper body. Where do you need to spend the, the money wisely? You get wiser with age, they say. All right, guys, I think right now sounds like a pretty good time to send it over to our very first guest on the podcast. So let's get into it. Introducing to the podcast, one of my best friends, Jammer's teammate in Six Nations, Luke's partner in crime, and a fourth overall draft pick in the NLL, and arguably a product of one of the largest blockbuster deals in PLL history. Not very long history, but PLL history. Welcome to the podcast, Ian McKay. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the intro. Is that a personal branded hat with the four? Uh, no, but we can go with it. It looks good. <laughs> First guest on the pod is repping his own brand. <laughs> <laughs> what a gotta, guy. Try, gotta try and plug myself a little bit. Yeah, here. he'll be sponsoring us on episode 51. <laughs> Surprise, you don't I, have Dane's hat on 92 on your forehead. I'd have to pay 20 bucks for it. (laughs) Uh, Now, you and I had talked before, and you were consuming The Bachelor amongst (laughs) a large majority of the world. I don't watch it personally, but if you don't mind saying here, who's who's your favorite or who's your shoe-in to win it all? My girl, Michelle. I think she's... She's a shoe in for sure. Everyone in the house thought it was this other girl, Brie, but I had Michelle the whole way, and everyone was shocked when uh, when she got voted off tonight. I don't know if you can. Oh, she got voted off tonight. Wow, spoiler. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to say my girl anymore because you do have a girl, <laughs> and it's not Michelle. So I think you might get in trouble already right off the bat That's for true. addressing that you have a girl via stardom on The Bachelor. <laughs> so I just, I don't know. Just throwing me under the bus right away. eh? First question. Listen, there's only one way she finds out that you ever said it, and it's if she listens to the podcast. That's true. Very true. (laughs) I don't know. We might have to hide hide this episode from her, but. (laughs) First guest goes in the archives. (laughs) We're already messing up people's lives. Yeah. Two episodes in, just throwing people (laughs) under the bus right away. Mickey, I want to ask you right off the bat here. What uh, what was it like being a part of the wedding party at my wedding? Megs was there. Cody, I'm gonna just say it on the podcast. He life came up. Kids came up. I do know that now. Kids do come up. Cody unfortunately couldn't make the wedding, which is which is okay. I'll I'll I won't grieve you too much on that one. But what was it like being a part of that? There's uh, wedding parties are interesting. Sometimes you know the guys going in. Sometimes you don't. But what was your experience like? I've never asked you that. So I'm curious what your situation was like at my wedding. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was the first wedding party I've ever been a part of. So everything leading up to it was all new to me. I didn't know what to expect, what to do, what to think. So I remember when you you FaceTimed me and asked me to be in it and, uh, I, and you sent me all the information for going and buying suits and stuff. And I don't know if I made it up in my head or if, if you did tell me or what, but I was going to like try the suits on. They had all the model numbers and everything and they like ring it up for me. And I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. I, like I'm pretty sure like the, the groom's getting this for us. <laughs> and I, like, not, you don't know who you're dealing with. <laughs> I, I remember calling you or texting you being like, what's, what's the deal here? Am I like, and you're like, no, like I'll get you your bow tie, but 
you got to get this. <laughs> you're looking at like, your oh. You're looking at your pocket. You're like, okay, I got uh, like what two Chipotle bowls left. This week. <laughs> hey, do you got? Hey, do you guys have a steamer in the back? I can steam your clothes for you. I can. Hey, can we work? How, long, how long do I have to work for you to, to pay this thing off? But but uh, uh, so that was that was the first experience with it. But um, I remember just because I drove to Connecticut, and I remember just like not knowing what to expect. I didn't really know. I knew some of the guys, obviously Mags and and Ocon, um, being at a wedding party, but none of your uh, Michigan buddies or anything. But once we got there and the weekend started, it was it was all really easy and it was really fun, enjoyable experience and. I remember, I remember during the, the uh, reception, um, I don't know what the name of the tradition is where we had you guys up on the chairs. And I remember you just, I was by myself on one side and the song went on for, it felt like 15 minutes. And I remember you just looking down and just being like, whatever you do, don't drop me, please. Like, keep me up here. And I was sweating well, by the end of it. Like... It was just, the, a, it was the hardest workout ever, but it was a good it's time. funny you bring it up because your side was like this and Haas's <laughs> side was like this. So he was helping me stay up, but yours not so much, but that's funny. No, it was my first time getting <laughs> oh. ready too. So how am I supposed to know what it was like, you know, but I'm cheap. So buy your own suit. <laughs> and now, now, Dane, I, now I have a new game day suit too. So appreciate Dane, it. I'm going to need it. I'm going to need to borrow one of your suits. <laughs> your body. Yeah, you got a Navy blue suit that I could borrow. <laughs> the best part about that dance too, was like, <laughs> I heard the tradition is Haas was up there before we were just sprung out of his seat he flies there and he's already got kj like he's, to go. To, he's looking up at the roof trying to he's like oh do i think kj can get there he's, he's like thank god I, I knew i needed to get a workout in today i hadn't worked out yet finally yes i remember going to his table and just seeing the three plates of food in front of him and he's like, well, yeah, I'm going to get like one of everything. Like, cause you had like three different stations, right? You had like tacos at one part. You had like t- the traditional like roast beef. What was the other one? Asian food? Basically, listen, listen, you could say whatever you want was there. I'll agree that it was there. Cody will never know. <laughs> true. That's true. People go to the weddings for the, uh, what the open bar Haas just goes for the food. <laughs> I remember that too. Him and Chow on massive plates. Well, let's talk a little lacrosse. I mean, uh, obviously your trade recently in the PLL, but what I thought was like a cool quote and it just describes your game so much is just, is how versatile you are. Right. And I think was it coach Andy Towers talking saying like, he can be a long pole, D midi, O midi attack really. Right. You've, you've done it all. Like, how do you, how do you feel about that? Are you kind of set now being older? Like I want to, I'm an offensive midi or how do you feel about transitioning through positions and whatnot? Yeah, I think, uh, that's kind of been my game my whole life is just being able to, to try to fit in wherever I'm needed and whether it's box or fields, I mean, field I've kind of established myself more of as an offensive player through college. But before I got to college, I've at the Hill, I played pole for team Canada. I played pole. I jumped in net for a little bit. I've taken face-offs like I've done it all. And, um, I think I really wanted to chase the offensive side of the game as most people probably do. But, um, the last two years for me have, I've been grateful for um, the opportunity with the archers. It was tough because uh, we were in the 
championship in 2019 when training camp started. So I couldn't even go to the first training camp or anything or participate. Um, so I was kind of a step behind from the get go. Um, and then get kind of getting thrown into the locker room and not knowing really any of the systems or anything and just getting thrown in the fire was playing catch up um, the whole time. So that was kind of tough. And I mean, the coaching staff, everyone did a really good job of trying to include me as much as possible. But, you know, when I got traded and I got the call from Coach Bates, we kind of both agreed that this is kind of the fresh start that I needed and, and wanted. And the fact that he was kind of able to see that too, I, it shows a lot about him as a coach and his character. And I respect that a lot, that he's he's willing to help me out and um, try and give me that chance. And I mean, obviously I live with Josh and Dane here who are on the chaos and talking with them and just kind of talking about how the PLL it's kind of is the closest thing to box across that field has ever seen with the shot clock and the shorter field and everything like that. So, um, you know, I've, I've definitely thought about picking up a pole or playing D midi and trying to um, play my box game in the PLL a little bit. I think I could do a really good job at that and the game's so fast and you see a lot of transition transition now. So, um, but at the end of the day, I mean, if it's playing offense, if it's taking face offs, whatever it is, I just want to keep playing and, get out in the field and I mean it's pretty cool too the PLL traveling new cities every weekend so that part of it's um, a bonus too and, and getting to see new cities and all that so yeah you mentioned your roommates uh you know Dana and Josh you think they played any part in in kind of hyping you up a little bit or do you think uh you think you did enough in the field game that you know coach and coach towers uh yeah I think what? uh I think I think my um play on the field is spoken um itself a little bit I played against him uh he coached at Dartmouth while I was at Vermont so I played against him while I was there and then my college coach who recruited me and coached me for three years at Vermont is the D coach for the chaos so I have that familiarity there and then um I mean Dane and Josh definitely I mean Josh was in my corner I don't know about Dane but um <laughs> but no having those guys for sure and I mean just all the guys like I played Obviously, with in six with D Ward and in Orangeville as well. Tyson Bell playing with him, like all the Canadian guys on the team. Um, I played with a handful of guys uh, with the Bayhawks, my first year in the MLL too. So, I mean, just when they announced the teams at the beginning of the league, I was kind of confused why I wasn't on the chaos at first because just seeing all the names and all the familiarity and how they were setting up the league and how that kind of all shook out. But I think it's just it's going to be a really good fit and. But yeah, to answer your question, I guess uh, Josh and Dane definitely were in my corner. We were talking about it. We kind of had an idea leading into it that, or leading up to kind of this off season that something might be happening. So I think, uh, and I hope that they vote for me at least. But they're they're in your corner writing the contract for you, <laughs> Josh Josh Burns, the assistant GM. <laughs> Basically, you he's like conducting the whole trade. In <laughs> yeah. Dane's portion of the contract, it just says will not touch my side of the field <laughs> that and i need 800 extra dollars for rent <laughs> absolutely you talked briefly there you, you addressed the fact that you played in orangeville with with d ward wardo and personally i've never even come close to winning a minto cup jammer himself has mags we're not going to even bring that up because it's a sour taste in his mouth but from your perspective something that i myself mags we were never able to do what was winning a championship like that at the junior A level like? Yeah, it was the first like serious big championship I've ever won. And I was a younger guy on the team. It was my second year. And for like D Ward and the Noble Brothers, 
um, Jordan Critch, those guys, it was their, I think their fourth appearance to a Minto cup. I think like their career or something like that, they were four for five in Ontario's and three for four in Minto's something like that. So I was able to kind of grab one of the coattails and, and sneak my Minto in with those guys. But I mean, it's pretty cool to be on that team from my first year on it and get to play with them. I mean, that um, experience they had and, and they were really good with the younger guys and, and trying to like show, show the way and show them kind of what they've done. Obviously I was a out of towner and I think in junior lacrosse in general, if you're not from the area, um, not that you're like, frowned upon or looked at any differently but Orangeville's uh, pretty serious about their lacrosse and they like to keep it um, pretty pretty close to home so being able to get in there um, year one and, and play with those guys and have them kind of show me the way and what it takes to win was things that and an experience that I've I still learn from and take from to this day so now were you drafted to the Orangeville Northmen or, or were you just uh, you know a free agent acquisition no, I was drafted it was I remember I was getting calls from a few other teams and um, I told those teams that I was going to be staying home and playing in, uh, in own sound, play junior B. And um, for whatever reason, Orangeville just didn't listen and uh, ended up picking me. But yeah, they drafted me. There was a connection with own sound, um, the McLeod brothers. They were coaching the junior B team and I was getting called up in midget and they kind of helped conduct all that go down. I thought you were going to say that you orchestrated that draft. Uh, no, no, I'm staying here. Orange Hill picks you last in the draft, <laughs> scoops you up. What, what, uh, so Orangeville, like, I mean, I don't even, I don't really know, but how do I phrase this? Is that like Orangeville lacrosse is known everywhere in Canada, right? Like Whitby, Orangeville, Six Nations, uh, you know, New West, Victoria, right? These, the hubs of the lacrosse world. So I guess if you will, right, these hotspots, what's the, you know, and Orangeville is probably comparison to really like a, you know, a Patriots culture, right? So like, what's it, what's it like being in that locker room, you know, as an alumni now, what, it, what is that like? Yeah. Uh, as an alumni, I haven't been able to get back as much as I've would have liked. Uh, my first two years out, I stayed at school in the summers and then obviously your summers are so busy with playing and either the field leagues or with senior ball, but try to get back as much as I can. And I mean, it's a family atmosphere, like the coaching staff, the management are all former players going, dating back to like the senior B days. I mean, there's the, the Sanderson family name. There's so many legends that have played there that when you're there are at every game, they're at every alumni event. There's a golf tournament going on all the time their social media is always going off they're they're doing a really good job at keeping everyone involved and informed in what's going on and but like I remember going to games and I would go Friday night play and I wouldn't go home until like Sunday I was sleeping on a couch I was sleeping in a basement I was house hopping whatever it was I was I never, I always wanted to stay on the weekends I ended up living there my uh, last two years and working in the summers and playing there and stuff but it was just such an incredible culture to be a part of. And I mean, you see guys that like I didn't even play with or, but know through the alumni that you see around NLL arenas who maybe have said like 20 words to total and they'll come up and talk to you at games and stuff. So it's definitely a really cool um, organization to have been a part of for sure. We talk about Orangeville and the historical arena that you guys have. I mean, you have a pretty awesome fan base that shows up to every home game that you have there in both junior B and junior A, whatever 
Orangeville lacrosse is playing. Also, historically, the Bandits, a team that gets a large support from their, their fan base. What are some of, or I guess let's go with, what's your top arena that you've ever played in? And what's your least favorite arena that you've ever played in? NLL Junior, everything. Let's go, let's go NLL to start. Let's go NLL to start. I mean, I Buffalo for sure has been the best. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> least favorite. I wanted to know the least favorite. I just suckered you in. <laughs> I know what you want me to say. The last game it was like a year ago too, I think, because when we played you guys, and I was blown away by Halifax. And like, it is a smaller rank, it being a junior arena, but it was insane how loud your fans are. Like, every goal, every momentum swing, everything that goes on, like, for a town that just got an NL team, it's pretty impressive how bought in that they've been. So I'd say Halifax is for sure up there. Is there any game that's tough to get up for? Georgia is really annoying because they have that bumblebee buzzing the whole time. And they, whole they time. don't, but they just have that bee. Like you actually feel like there's a bee buzzing around your head the entire game. Chips. Honestly. But. <laughs> Chips and guac. <laughs> Outrageous. I mean, I, I haven't experienced like a, a Georgia ludicrous concert either. I'm sure that'd be pretty cool. But so Craigie Point, Craigie Point uh, got drafted to Minnesota when they were still a Minnesota swarm. And they used to get some crowds in Minnesota when Craigie first started. Like we're talking like 12,000, 13,000. And Craigie used to come home and, and talk to us afterwards or texting or whatever and just say, like, when they used to chant chips and guac in Minnesota. He said it was the best thing in the world just because it like the whole arena would stand up and just like it was a chant between the whole arena. Now we're talking, you know, 13,000 people rather than however much they get now, you know, six or five. But, you know, 13,000 people yelling chips and guac has got to be pretty, pretty damn cool. That's incredible. But <laughs> the concept of yeah. people yelling chips and guac and it firing pointer up is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> They're yelling chips and guac, and they have like Lyle Thompson, Randy Statchy, and Jackson on their team doing unbelievable things. <laughs> Get us some chips and guac. Ups. I went back in the archives, Mickey, and I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with you because I don't really, I don't know where this started or how it all happened. But dating back to junior, I think that based on my research, there was only, I think maybe two games in all of the games that we've ever played against each other that you and I haven't had offsetting penalties. Usually it's a five minute for some nonsense that's happening. But as friends, I think it's very ironic that you and I both have a bit of a bone to pick with each other. Every single time we play, we always get offsetting penalties. We're always in the box together, chirping each other. The friendship is revoked when we start playing. But from my perspective, I really like you as a person, but when we play, I want to take your head off. I try to fight you every time. What's your thought about all this? I think you're pretty spot on there. Like I, I can vividly see a picture from junior of you and I like grabbing each other's helmets. I don't know who knows what's being said, but I, literally every, almost every game that I can think of, we've had some kind of altercation, which is kind of wild too. Cause especially in the NLL, like as a lefty, I, I usually don't cover lefties. I'm over on the other side of the floor. So I don't know how I find my way over there to probably know that, that I'm pissing you off somehow. So I try to find my way over there. But I remember in Rochester, we got into a little skirmish. And uh, I think we had five-minute offsetting. I'll never forget you saying this in the penalty box. You were like, because there's no glass up in the penalty box either. So you're like face-to-face, -face basically. 
and you're just yelling at me. You're like, I don't fight, but I want you to be my first. I want you to be my first. <laughs> I was like, I'm like a rookie in the NLL too. I'm like, KJ, what are you saying? Like, I'm like, all right, take it easy. Like, let's talk friendship here. Like, we're not fighting, but you're just like foaming at the mouth, like going nuts. This guy is absurd. I needed my first one against a guy that I knew I could beat up. <laughs> here we go. I, Mango and I had a good uh, yelling altercation last year. Yeah, and, uh, just talking about the wedding. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Just, I hadn't seen you since. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's how that's how we left the wedding. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think so awesome about lacrosse, though. It's such a small community overall that you do have these altercations on the floor, but. 99% of the time, as soon as the whistle blows, the game's over, everybody's friends again because you know you're going to see the guy out later. You know that you play on the same junior team as him or whatever it may be. You know that you're seeing the guy because you end up being best friends. But I think that's why lacrosse is such a unique community because everybody's best friends. Everybody knows who everybody is. And everybody just, when the whistle blows to start the game, everybody wants to kill each other. Once it's done, everybody's ready to have a drink together. Cody, were you on that team, uh, MLL team? They played in Florida, and I think it was like an exhibition game to try out the market. I was with Rochester at the time, and everybody got tanked at the bar, the Cantina Loco or whatever the hell it is. And they put both teams on the same bus to the airport the next morning. So you just see like 50 guys just absolutely having the worst time of their life at like 3 in the morning. And I remember two guys, I can't remember who it was. I think it was like a backup goalie, like three guys on Hamilton wanted to beat him up at the bar and he had to walk by him and Keo just kind of like stood up with his shirt all off. Like, were you on that team? I don't know. I, I, I must not have been on the trip. I don't know. I got a bad memory anyway. Isn't it? So Cody was, was healthy that game. Healthy. I might've been. He was on the no fly list. Jammer was behind Keo with his shirt off too. Just waiting to see what happened. <laughs> You go first. You go first. <laughs> Mickey, I want to get your thoughts on playing with, with Jammer for the first time. You play together in Six Nations. You come over. You were in Oakville before. You come over. You're playing with, with Cody. What was your first initial thought of playing with, with him in Six Nations? He himself, a historical figure in Six Nations. Historical because he's older than all of us. But what was your what was your thought process like? I think that we all have our own. I definitely have my own, what it was like. But what was your first interpretation of playing with him for the first time i mean i never never met him before um maybe played against him um when i did play i only played a handful of games in oakville right at a junior i think we played six so I, yeah i probably would have played against him but um only had ever watched him play nll games or um senior games before that just that was the first time i ever been traded too so like walking in and being from or, or not being from orangeville but playing for orangeville and then going into six nations locker room for the first time is pretty intimidating especially as a young guy so kind of tried to keep to my own a little bit but i remember just like jammers being really friendly and open and, and coming and talking to me and um i mean i was kind of both being lefties me playing defense but like in shooting drills and warm-ups and stuff I'll never, I don't know if I'm going to be throwing away a secret here at all, but just list, asking you about your shot and stuff and you saying that like you read pit, um, books about pitchers and how they, their release points and how they throw and stuff. And like, just to even like think about that. I was, that's probably why I play defense is because I would have never thought, thought about that. So 
seeing you play, how you conduct yourself, being an older guy um, in the league and, um, you know, winning man cups and knowing what it's taken. And, and I mean, in senior ball, you don't always have a full roster, but you're there every game. And to see that, I mean, it's, it's pretty uh, obvious why you're loved around there and, and you've done what you've done. And um, to be able to be able, to be able to play with you and uh, be in the same locker room and, and pick your brain about lacrosse. And just even after games sitting around, having pizza and wings and, and shooting the shit and just hearing stories about you playing in junior, or whatever it is, has been pretty cool. So um, the whole experience has definitely been uh, one I'm thankful for and hopefully summer ball can, can pick up whether you're a uh, Reggie Dunlop doing a little player coach or whatever it may be, but hopefully we can uh, get a few more seasons in together. And, and AJ, no more questions like that, man. You make me feel old here. Come on. Come on. I didn't know the guy was going to get sentimental. I wanted to know if you enjoyed playing with you, but he went all heartfelt on that one. But Jammer, can you feel old? Jammer, talk about the, the pictures and the release points. That's, I've never, I've never thought of that before. That's why, that's why I play defense, man. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you said yeah, that's yeah, like uh, oh, the same. Oh boy. Yeah, just at a young age, young age, just thinking about uh, you know, my dad always told me you know that I should be able to pick any spot on the net um, and have the same release point, so the goalies can't read where I'm going and when I'm going there. So that's why you know, predominantly you know, ninety. Five ninety-eight percent of my shots are all overhand because that's all um, that's all I ever shot growing up, and he just was really trying to get me to be able to hit all four corners and from the same spot, from the same release point. And we both of us just kind of equated it back to back to pitchers and how pitchers use the same exact motion with every pitch, and you know definitely throw off speed. You know, being able to hit you know top of the box or or you know no one other hitters tendencies you know whether they like it low and away or rather they like it you know high to the inside you just got to kind of know who you're going up against and know their weaknesses and make it seem like you know all the all your shots so all the pitches are all coming at the same exact you know release point to uh you know to throw them off as much as you can that's exactly why i'm a d guy (laughs) (laughs) holy smokes but that's that's so cool that's that's a short version like we could talk hours on on shooting and 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 i've done it before with uh you know darius kilgore me and me and darius kilgore have had you know plenty of long 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 late night talks about about everything lacrosse related and uh so we can get into it pretty heavily but you know, this podcast can't be you know, that long. Hey, hold on here, Mickey. Don't go anywhere. I always, I like to make it a little tough on KJ. So I got a question <laughs> that he's going to have to edit into the podcast. Mickey, in case you didn't notice, um, our co- co- our hosts were drunk during this podcast. They couldn't get a question out. So <laughs> bear with us. Hey, I asked, there you this, go. I asked a couple. Is this my interview where <laughs> I should start asking you guys? Go. <laughs> I'm going to interview you. How much do you make before taxes? <laughs> so here's my question. Mickey, I remember when you did first come with sick, come to the Chiefs there, um, everybody kept calling you Ian, and I just, you don't look like an Ian to me. And so I just, you know, started calling you Mickey. I was always curious on if that was your nickname elsewhere or did – you know, did I start start something up and give you a new nickname? I think I think it was you starting it up. I never, I've been I've been called Mac before, but I think it was because uh, they spelt my name wrong on my jersey because my last name's M A C K A Y and it was M C K A Y on the jersey. 
And I remember you, it must've been you then asking me about nicknames and my nickname in Orangeville was easy. And you must've said like, Oh, we can't have an Orangeville nickname here. So <laughs> I think, I think them spelling the, my name wrong on, on my Jersey and it being Mickey instead of Mackey. I think that's how that all, all started, but you started it and it's, it's stuck since. Cause obviously living with Dane and playing with Dane in six and now in Buffalo, he's kind of brought it over and, almost everywhere I go now, even in the field game, everyone calls me Mickey. So you, you got all the credit on that one. Don't worry. We won't address why you were called easy in Orangeville. <laughs> easy. <laughs> That's right. It's actually Brad Cree started. I think it was Brad Cree and D Ward started it. And it was right when uh, NWA, the movie came out and easy. And then, um, cause Cree used to just call me E and then I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's how it started, but that's what I tell myself. Anyways, <laughs> it, it was the it was the flurry of the bunnies. Yeah, the flurry of bunnies that gave you the nickname. The it wasn't guy. it wasn't Cree and Wardo. It was the it was the bunnies that gave you that nickname. <laughs> Are you bringing easy with you? <laughs> you win some, you easy lose in the bunnies. Well, thanks, Mickey, for jumping on the podcast as our first actual guest. We talked about you on the last one. We knew that you listened. We appreciate it. So we threw you back on here so that you could talk a little bit about the recent trade, the blockbuster trade, but also your experience in lacrosse and just your life stories. So thanks for jumping on. We greatly appreciate it. And we wish you all the best in the upcoming season. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, can't wait to be the, uh, the fourth host of this uh, podcast moving forward. Thanks, Ian. You're a beauty. Well, obviously, we love having Mickey on the podcast. He's obviously a close friend to all of us. He's a great guy, awesome lacrosse player, part of a huge, massive deal. I think he's going to be in a better place with the chaos, definitely, and he's going to be utilized to, well, his Swiss Army knife of abilities, long stick midi, defense, offense, you name it, he does it. But talking about field lacrosse, last week we addressed something, and I brought up the concept of, some Syracuse attackmen potentially needing to step up in the college ranks and assert themselves when it came to point producers. And they shoved it in my face. They definitely did it. Rafus, I think, had two or three. Scanlon had two. So they did it. Maybe maybe I'm uh, attributed to Syracuse's success. Who knows? But now I'm on the wagon of the Q. I'm on Q's wagon now. Georgetown's still hot, but there's some teams that have definitely fallen off. I hate to say it, but Michigan is uh, plummeting in all the wrong directions, but maybe it's will pick it back up. Big Ten stuff. That's all right. College across, you're hot on it. I I don't even know if we can legally, I'm sure it's probably not okay, but like you got to find a way to stream games if you live in Canada because half the games are on the ACC network. You can't get BTN Plus for all the Big Ten games because that's irrelevant, but you got to illegally stream. I tried to send Cody a link last week or two weeks ago to watch the Q's game. Have you guys been able to even watch any games? The odd, the odd few where you get the, like, there's a few games that have been on LSN. Uh, so, yeah, the odd few here and there. Um, but that's the problem in lacrosse, too, is we need to, needs to be more accessible to people all over the world, North America, right? Um, you know, and, and it's funny, like, you know, jumping back to the recovery thing with the athletes, right? Uh, like Russell Wilson and the money. And now, like, if it's just, you know, it, it's so much harder the more competitive it gets and the money is obviously there. That's a whole rabbit hole that we can go down. But I would say college across is still love Army. They're sick. 
Um, yeah, Cuse is good. Georgetown hasn't played anyone competitive yet, but they're they're legit. So it's it's still wide open. Lots. My Bobby Mo boys got their win against Spellerman. Ryan Smith, shout out. He got 11 points. I think that's the most in a single game. He'll uh, he'll play in the NFL. He's good. Yeah, I'm wearing my green today. You know, I usually um, I usually watch a lot. You know, I don't get to watch too much college across, but um, I usually watch a lot of the uh, Jacksonville University games with my cousin going there. You know, personally, I don't I don't think the coaching staff really knows too much of uh, how to implement a, a box system, which they they claim to claim to be running on offense to have your only you know box guys sitting in the sidelines. But that's a story for another talk, another day. Obviously, you know, go Cuse, but uh, I'd like to see, you know, Jacksonville come out of the SoCon. The last thing that I wanted to touch on before we end this podcast, Ryan Tierney at Hofstra, lefty attackman, putting up absolutely absurd numbers, absolutely shoved the logistical product that I put with calculations for attackman out, out the door because he's been putting up eight, ten points a game. I think that he might – I'm going to say it right now, I think he's winning the tour time. Do you guys have any – Final thoughts before we end this podcast. Torton favorites right now. Maybe Chris Gray. Here's the here's the totals and points right now. You got at one. You have Chris Gray with forty points. Two. You got Michael Sowers with thirty-two at the three. Jackson Morrill thirty-one at Denver. Mind you, Denver played I think seven games. Ryan yeah. Tierney sitting at four with thirty. So I think that's the the trouble too with all this is that no team really is at the same level with all these game discrepancies. So when it comes down to it, I, I don't know how they're going to do the voting. Maybe game percentages like they did in the NHL with the bubble last year. Like that's why there's like 24 teams that made the playoffs. Someone knows a formula. No, in the NCAA, they're just going to give it to Stowers just because he's their poster boy for the time being. And I see that. I think that's probably going to be the case. Like it's, it's the sexy pick. And that's it. That's what they're about. NCA is all about the sexy pick. That's why Mags and I never won the tour fun. But anyway, <laughs> appreciate everybody jumping on. This is an awesome conversation. Again, tune in next Thursday for our next podcast. If you haven't already checked out the previous one, head back over Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Go over, check it out. Coffee with the boys. Come back next Thursday. We'll see you then. Hey.